Hi, and welcome to the Vine Community Church Podcast. We hope that what you're about to hear will help you to flourish in God's grace and bear fruit through loving God, loving each other, and loving our community. I'm going to do something a little different and start down here because I've asked uh, these kids to help me. Um, turn, that, turn those to the side that say, that say peace for a minute. So you're right. So there's one where it's written in English, so you can get that, right? Uh, That one, we know what that says. But all these words that they have here, as well as all the words that the kids carried in, is the word peace in in many different languages, right? And so we long for peace in this world because there's a lot of things that are broken. Can y'all flip those over for me? Go ahead. Oh, you two don't have anything. Just stay right there and keep peace up for me. That's my bad. All right? That's okay. Just you keep listening too, okay? Uh, That's not your fault. That's mine. All right, so things are broken. We know that. Whether it's because of sickness we see in the world, whether it's because of fear, we see abuse in the world, we see hate, we see broken and hurting marriages, we see hurt to others, we see loneliness, we see strained friendships. And all of that is broken stuff in this world. And it causes us to long for peace. And that desire is good. Give me just a minute, okay? I want people to still see those words. The desire for peace in these things and many other things is good. Um, it's, it's even right. I would say that it is God-given. We were created in the image of God. We were created uh, to, to not like it when things are broken. The problem is a lot of times we try to fix this, all these things, maybe by forming groups to address the problem, maybe by creating a social agenda to address the problem, maybe by um, going after it in different ways with committees, et cetera. Maybe just in our own strength, we think we got this, we can do this. But the problem is the peace that comes from all those efforts by itself, those efforts by themselves, produce no lasting peace. So I'm going to ask you kids to um, put yours, uh, your signs in the box and you can go sit with your families. But as they go, recognize that you know, they're putting these in this gift, right? Because our efforts in all these things bring no lasting peace. But we are in a sermon series now starting um, here in this Advent season, a series called A Gift That Changes the World. Because in this Advent season, we have, we're on, on this side of Jesus came, right? But we're also looking to Jesus coming again. Jesus came into this world. Jesus brought, um, brought a lot of these things. It's a gift that changes the world. And we know ultimately when he comes again, all this will be fully fulfilled and all these things that are broken um, will be fixed, In this series, we're going to look at uh, peace that God brings, the love, the joy, the hope um, that he brings. And ultimately, we're going to see that culminated in Christ. But as we come to this passage, as we, as we come to this series, I want you to remember something. Okay, we just, we've been, if you've been here with us, we've been talking about Jeremiah, right? And Jeremiah was looking to the day that Jesus would come. The Messiah, the Savior would come and things would begin to be made new. Jeremiah was looking to that. We also have at the end of the Old Testament in Malachi, 
There's all this brokenness that's going on. There's, there's, um, the, there is um, easy divorce that's going on. There's broken marriages. There's broken families happening. Um, the, the government's in shambles. You got all this stuff happening at the end of Malachi. That's the last book in the Old Testament. But the people were told to wait on the Lord to come. Wait on him. And they have been waiting. Kids, do you know how long they've been waiting since the end of Malachi until right now in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke? Do you know how long it's been? What's a really long time to you? Give me an idea. Somebody call it out. Give me a, a long time to wait. A year. a year. It's a long time. I agree. Doesn't feel so long anymore, but uh, it's a long time. Or maybe a hundred years, but even longer. You know how long they were waiting? 400 years. You think they might have felt like God wasn't listening to them anymore? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Historically, that's why the church celebrates Advent in the Christmas season. Because just as the people had been waiting on God for 400 years, we remember that. But we also recognize that we are waiting on him because only he can bring the peace um, that we're talking about this morning. And so today, as we look at this passage, we're going to see that we find peace when we humbly turn to God. We find peace when we humbly turn to God. We're going to read from Luke. Um, we'll be doing in Luke chapter 1 and 2 the next um, few weeks through, the, through Christmas. I'm, doing not, I'm losing my math right now. Through Christmas, um, we'll be in, in Luke chapter 1 and 2. Um, today, we're, we pick up in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. And as I do often um, when I'm talking with kids, I remind kids and adults alike, this isn't just some random story from a storybook. These are true events um, recorded in God's Word. And so they're important for us to pay close attention to. So God's word, beginning in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. 
And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. Will you pray with me briefly? Lord, as we come to your word, we ask this simple thing. We pray this simple prayer. That you, Lord, would take your word and that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would teach our hearts, Lord, to humbly turn to you to find peace. Teach us for the glory of your name, because that is good for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, as we go through this passage, I'm going to do this a little bit differently. I'm, just, I'm going to walk through the passage. And as, we, as I do, I'm just going to draw out a couple things um, that I want us to remember. There's, there's two main points in this. Um, the first one we see um, in verse 5, the first point is that finding peace from life's circumstances is hard. All right, so we see that in verse 5, but, but as a, before I go there, let me just ask kids a question. And I'm going to do this several times today, so y'all need to be paying attention, okay? Because right, I need your help. Have you ever waited on a promise that you thought might never happen? Kids, have you ever waited on a promise that you thought might never happen? You can just shake your heads, yes or no. Yeah? Yeah, but you don't have to tell me what it is. That'd be kind of fun to go around the room and ask those questions. Um, like, let, let every kid talk. But we'd probably be here a while. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's this promise that, that it feels like it's not going to happen. So again, the people of Israel have been waiting for 400 years. And so they probably felt abandoned. And now, after 400 years, things were still not looking good. They were even looking a little bit worse. And that's what we see in verse 5. Because in verse 5, we see the beginning of it, that they are in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. Now, that doesn't mean a lot to us when we just say that, right? But let me tell you about Herod for a minute. And what I'm going to do is piece together... Um, piece together what we see in scripture as well as what the Jewish historian Josephus and the Roman historian Octavius um, say about Herod. And I went and, and looked this up. I'd heard someone else say it, so I went to look it up and make sure um, that, that I could find that as well. Because historians tell us that Herod was really good at being a really bad king. He was really good at being a really bad king. He was skilled at military strategy. He was good at speaking. He was good at developing and governing and, and um, leading over his government. He was good at building cities. And he was really, really cruel. 
How do we know that? Well, the Bible tells us um, that, you remember when, um, when the wise men tricked Herod and they didn't, they didn't go back and tell him that they had found Jesus and he was furious because he wanted to go find this baby Jesus and he wanted to kill him because he saw him as a threat to his, to his own rule and reign. So he wanted to go kill this baby Jesus. And so um, what he did was, tell, was put out a rule that every child two and under, two years of old, old and under, should be killed. Pretty cruel. We also know from history that Herod killed his brother, who was a threat to his throne. He killed his wife. He killed his mother-in-law. And he killed either three or four, there's some different opinion on that, three or four of his 12 sons. Is that a pretty rough picture, right? Like I said, he was really good at being a really bad king. But remember, in this time of political chaos that they were in, when things looked really bad for the people of God, none of the events in Herod's reign surprised God. God was still at work and was further unveiling his plan to bring peace. And God shows us that this plan was going to come through a man in his, uh, named Zechariah, a priest, um, and his wife. Look at verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So Zechariah was a priest, and his job the job of the priest and the job of Zechariah was to keep pointing people, keep reminding people of the hope of the peace from God through the coming Savior. That's what they were supposed to do. They've been waiting in silence for 400 years, and that's what they were supposed to keep doing. But even as he was supposed to be doing that, as he was supposed to keep doing that, things were hard in his own life as well, in his personal life also. Look at verse 6 and 7. And they, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Zechariah and Elizabeth were old, both of them. Elizabeth was barren. And in their culture, that would have been a really hard thing. That was looked down upon. Somebody even, might have even thought um, that they had displeased God. But the passage makes a point to say they were righteous before God. They were blameless in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child. And so their personal circumstances, as well as the circumstances in the culture around them, were hard. And they likely felt that the promises of peace from God were pretty empty. As we long for peace... You know, we talked about those signs that were up here. As we long for peace in all these things, it's hard. And it's hard because it's hard to wait on God. And it's hard because waiting on God, waiting on the peace that he brings, is humbling. That leads us to our second um, point from this passage. Finding peace with God is humbling. I'll say it again. 
Finding peace with God is humbling. We see this through the events surrounding Zechariah in the passage. And so to understand the significance, we need to understand a little bit more about Zechariah. This just says Zechariah gives us a couple things, but let me talk to you about this for just a minute. Zechariah came from the hill country. Okay, we know that because in a little bit, um, in Luke chapter, in verse 39, later in the passage, it says that, that Elizabeth, or that Mary, went to the hill country to see Elizabeth. And so he comes from kind of a rural, smaller area um, as a priest. He was in the division of Abijah, the eighth of 24 divisions of priests. That probably means nothing to you. It's, it's okay, but here's what you, I do want you to hear, is that each of these divisions were divided up in such a way that they went on full-time duty for a, for a week and they did that two times a year, each of these divisions. Okay, you with me? They go on full-time duty for a week, um, and, and then they do, they do that, each of these divisions do that two times a year. And we find out from verse 8 that this was the week for Zechariah and for his division to be on duty. And so Zechariah goes to serve. But then something happens that would have been amazing for Zechariah. Look at verse 9. According to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Now, when we read this, kids, you may hear that and you may think, okay, wait a minute. What in the world does that even mean? Custom, priesthood, chosen by lot, enter temple, burn incense. What is going on here? Well, you're not alone because most of us as adults in the room wonder what that means too. I'm going to try to help us understand for a minute. This would have been an amazing thing in the life of Zechariah. It's kind of like, you know, that if there's something you think, wow, if I could just have one chance in my life to do this, this big thing, then I'd be happy, then I'd be fulfilled, then, then everything would be great. If I could just have this one chance in my life to, you think what that would be for you. For a priest, going to the temple burning incense before God and praying to God on behalf of the people of Israel would have been the greatest moment in their life. Because in that moment, they would be as close to the presence of God as any person could be to God before Jesus came. It's even more wild when you realize this. If a priest did this once, they never got to do it again. This is a one-time thing. If a priest did this once, they never did it again. And many priests went through all their years and never had this opportunity. So this is Zechariah's one chance. This is his special day. It had come, and it had come because they drew lots. It's kind of like drawing straws. They drew, they drew lots, right? And as they did so, God, through the lots, had determined that it was Zechariah's turn. And this whole thing is so important that verse 10 tells us there's a multitude of people. As, as Zechariah goes into the temple to pray, to burn incense, there is a multitude of people outside praying as he goes in to do this. Zechariah was at the center of everything going on here. So again, he probably felt pretty special at that moment. He'd been chosen by God to do something that most people don't do. Kids, when you get chosen to do something that most people don't get to do, maybe you're the line leader at school or the, the, the you know, things like that, right? 
Doesn't that feel kind of special? The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how Zechariah feels, but it does tell us that something big and unexpected happens next. It's a special moment. This great thing's going on. And then verse 11, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So Zechariah's going into the temple. He's burning the incense like he's supposed to do. He's praying to God. And then much to his surprise, an angel shows up, the angel Gabriel. And it says, Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Does that sound familiar? What happens when the angel appears to Mary? She's afraid. What happens when the angel appears to the shepherds? They're afraid. <laughs> right? This is, this is an un, um, a, a theme that goes on throughout Scripture. And so all of a sudden, in the presence of this angel... I don't think Zechariah felt quite so special anymore. It says he was scared. He was afraid. He's starting to be humbled. But look at verse 13. The angel says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. What prayer do you think has been heard here? It is kind of a trick question. Well, it wouldn't happen without God working. Let me tell you about it, Beza. Okay? A prayer that most likely not to happen, right? Yeah, so we come to this. What prayer has been heard? Well, I want you to look at it for just a minute because I think most of us, when we first read this, we think the prayer that has been heard is a prayer for a son, right? But there's two things, I think, in the passage that show us that's not actually the prayer. First, in verse 18, Zechariah's response, we're going to come back to verses 14 through 17 in a minute, but verse 18 Zechariah like, says to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The King James of this translates, translates it, I'm an old man, and my wife is stricken with years. How is this possible? Now hold that in one hand, but also think about this. I go back to it. Remember what I told you the job of the priest was? The job of the priest was to pray for the salvation of the people of Israel. It was to pray for the deliverer all the people were waiting on. The one who would bring the good news of peace from God. We've already been told that John is a righteous man. He and his wife are righteous. They are blameless before God. We've already been told all those things about him. And so he would be in the temple doing the job of the priest, praying for the deliverance of the people of God. That combined with this, him telling the angel that's not possible, basically. Those two things combined together. Tell me that the prayer that he's praying is for the salvation of Israel. Praying for the deliverer they've been waiting on. And Gabriel comes to him and says, your prayer has been heard. That prayer is being answered. Peace is coming. But he says, here's how I'm going to do it. 
I'm sending one named John, and he's going to be your son, Zechariah and Elizabeth, and he's going to make the way for the Savior Jesus to come and bring peace with God. But again, verse 18, Zechariah's response in essence is, how is that possible? I can't make that possible. I'm old, and have you seen my wife? But that's the turning point in the story. That's the turning point. Because Zechariah is humbled. He's acknowledged that he can't make anything happen here. And Gabriel, paraphrase, says, yeah, I know. I know. You're an old man. But I'm an angel with a message from God. Look at verse 19. I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. So the angel, in, in our words, is saying, I know you can't bring peace with God in your own strength, because that's hard. I know you can't bring peace with God um, by, have, by you and Elizabeth having this child in your own strength. I know that no matter how righteous and blameless you are before God, you can't make this happen, and that's the point. You must wait on the Lord because it's only through the gift of his son Jesus, whom your son John is going to make a way for, it's only through Jesus that God's people can have this peace with him. It's like, Zechariah, this is the good news, and it is straight from God. I just came from his presence. Is straight from him. But to remind Zechariah of this, to show Zechariah that it was about nothing he could accomplish on his own, the angel says in verse 20, And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the days these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time point of all of this for us today is that we often try to create peace by working on the circumstances, by manipulating things around. True peace, peace with God, is only found through what he has done for us. When we try to create peace ourselves through making things better, we're creating something that won't last. That's what I said at the beginning. And if we're followers of Jesus, when we acknowledge that he alone can bring peace, that has to be humbling. Y'all look up at me just a minute. Do you understand that when we come and we say, we acknowledge that, that peace can only be brought about by God, then there is no room for a prideful arrogance in our Christianity. And that prideful arrogance that we think there is something special about us apart from the work of God in us turns the world off to who we are and what he's called us to be and do. If we're followers of Jesus, the point for us in this Advent and Christmas season is to remind us, y'all, that, that today... Jesus is with us, and it's Jesus we are waiting on to bring this full culmination 
of, the, of peace with God. This full culmination of seeing all these things we, we had up here early, these things made new. If it's not humbling for us, we're missing the point of Advent and Christmas. But here's what's really neat in this passage. As we pursue him and his peace through the salvation that he brings, notice the order. As we pursue peace with God, as we pursue him and his peace and the salvation that he brings, we often get blessed with peace in this life as well. I didn't say always, I didn't say in every circumstance, but we often do. And as we pursue him and his peace, we also see his peace being brought into situations in this world. Maybe that's situations in our families, situations in our marriages, situations, uh, but, but also situations with people around us, with the things we see going on in the world. And those are glimpses of his kingdom coming of his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Now look back to verses 14 through 17 with me. When he tells Zechariah about John and he's talking about what John will bring, he says in verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness, Zechariah, and many will rejoice at the birth of John, for he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth will be able to rejoice for two reasons. One, salvation is coming for the people of Israel. Salvation is coming to all of God's people. And their son John is going to be great before the Lord and tell about it. Now, notice that it says he's going to be great before the Lord. Right? John was a weird guy. Even in this culture. Do you remember how John dressed? Yeah, he dressed in a cloak of camel's hair. That wasn't normal. That wasn't in style then. All right. He dressed in a cloak of camel's hair with a leather belt around him. And do you remember what he ate? Yeah, locust and honey. The honey sounds great. The locust, not so much. Right? He was a weird guy in that sense. But he was, so the world would look at him and go, what in the world? But he was great before the Lord. Because he was humble and he was proclaiming the salvation that comes through Jesus alone. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth get to rejoice about that. But they also get to rejoice with joy and gladness in their own lives. So, so as God has chosen to use them to bring this about, this couple who their whole lives had served the Lord, who were now old and stricken with years, gets the blessing of also having this child. Sometimes we think God's just out there, like that he doesn't care about us enjoying things in this life or, or rejoicing and, and having joy at what he's doing, but they get the blessing of that as well. We as God's people today sometimes fail to have humble hearts that God developed in Zechariah. And we want the peace that we have decided we want God to bring in our lives more than we want peace with God through the salvation and peace that is only brought through Jesus. 
in verses 16 and 17. I referenced it earlier at the, from the end of Malachi, all the craziness that was going on. And they've been waiting, and now it says that in John's message, talking about Jesus to come, when he did that, it says, many of the children of Israel will turn to the Lord their God. The hearts of the fathers will turn to the children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, and he will make ready for the Lord a people prepared. John's here now going, peace has come. And it's coming in the name of Jesus. He preaches good news. He preaches the good news humbly, looking to Jesus. It was never about him. And when he does so, that affects families, that affects the government. That's what we see here. That affects children turning to the fathers, fathers caring for the children. That makes ready the way of the Lord. There are many, many, many applications I could make to this. You're probably making some in your own mind. But there's two I want to make. The first one, Men in this room, I want you to look up at me for a minute. It is the responsibility, it is the call of men who are followers of Jesus, all of us who are followers of Jesus, to first pursue peace with God through Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, it is your responsibility to lead in that way in your home. It is my responsibility to lead in that way in my home. That doesn't let ladies off the hook. You need to do this too. But God has called us to this. It's not easy. You know what's easier? I'm going to pursue peace by overpowering, by being firm, by speaking up, by making sure everybody just keeps the peace in the house. That's easier. By the way, that doesn't work either, in case you haven't noticed. But we're to pursue peace with God. And then allow that peace that God has brought us through Jesus To help us point our wives, our children, our parents, or whoever is in our home. To help us point one another to the peace that only he can bring in the circumstances in our lives. Now ladies, don't go home and tell your husband, see I told you. But I want to challenge you ladies to pray for your husbands. I want to challenge you children to pray for your fathers. Pray for your parents. In this Christmas Advent season, just, just think. If in this month leading up to Christmas, instead of worrying about all that other stuff that goes on with Christmas, you can do that, that's fine. But don't forget to do this. That together 
We pray for this peace. And we look for this in our homes. And then, because here's what happens, right? As God is doing that in us, guess what we get to be a part of? With one another and then those around us. Like John, we get to proclaim the name of Jesus. We get to make the name of Jesus known. And as we do that, we get glimpses of, of the kingdom of God. We get glimpses of heaven. We get glimpses of what the new heaven and the new earth is going to be. As all, some of these broken things, this list we saw earlier and many others, began to be made new. Will you join me in that this Christmas season? Will you join Pastor John and I and Pastor Mark, our, our staff, our elders in that this season? As we prepare our hearts for that, we're going to come to the Lord's table in a moment. And I want to ask you to take a moment and ask God, if you're not sure, to show you where you're trying to create peace in your own strength. where you're trying to create peace in your own strength. And then repent of that. And ask him to show you peace in your heart through relationship with, your, with his son, Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us for this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at thevinecc.com, download our mobile app, or visit us on Facebook or Instagram at The Vine CC. Have a great week.